You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome to the program already in progress. It's hour two on this Wednesday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. The great writer Stephen King putting out some clickbait. And I think he got me. Here's his tweet. Assuming Goodfellows is number three on the all-time mobster movie list, what are the other seven best gangster movies? Who said Goodfellas? <laughs> I'll tell you who didn't say Goodfellas. <laughs> Everybody. That was uh, this guy right yeah. here. Good, Goodfellows. Goodfellows. Yeah. They're a bunch of Goodfellows. <laughs> yes. Goodfellas. Good, Goodfellas is a movie about a bunch of nice guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, just, you know, trying to cut their lawn. Forget good... about it. <laughs> I think that uh, a Matthew McConaughey movie, Goodfellows. <laughs> yes, McLovin. This is your one cultural blind spot right here. This is the one good, area that you have fellas. not met. You do not embrace mafia movies. I don't. I don't. I, I, it, because I was cautioned by my wife because of her side of the family that this is not brought up. And, and I just said, okay, I'm not bringing it up. When you find out some relative of some relative owned a parking lot in New York... I don't need to know how you got it and what you do with it, a parking garage. Like, okay. Yeah, Seaton. Goodfellas came out in 1990. Yeah. And? You have ample time to watch that movie. Oh, that doesn't mean I liked it. I, I watch it. I don't discuss it. I didn't. I was okay with it. <laughs> I, I just... Everybody dies in the end of these mob movies, and that's what I, I just... Like the Godfather. I, I, like Sonny Corleone, I didn't want him to die. Like Brando, okay, you die. All right, you're the Godfather, you're going to die. I don't know. And then they swear that they're going to protect, what is it, the Omerita or oh. Omer? <laughs> Omerita. Omerita. And then they always turn against each other. All right, here's the question for this side of the glass. If, if Dan were to only watch and sit down and watch the entire thing, the first Godfather, Goodfellas, or the entire Soprano series, but you got to commit to one of those three, but we have to pick on your behalf. What would you guys say? Well, can I just make one slight change into you have to watch, you actually have to watch all three Godfathers, not just the first That's one. That's not fair. One and two are, they're probably the second and third best Mafia movies of all time, with Goodfellas being the first. Good, yeah, but Stephen King says Goodfellas is three. Okay, yeah, but I I might not agree with him. Oh, okay. Well, um, he's saying Godfather one and two, and our, then our it's one and two, right? Goodfellas. Although his tweet, it it, it doesn't actually make sense because if he says, I think he's saying all three Godfathers because he's like, why? He says, what are the other seven best? No. Who who does a top eight list? Yes, Todd. No, he, we've told you this many times is watch the Sopranos, especially in these times of no sports and quarantine. We have this ample opportunity to uh, binge watch. Mm. Give it uh, give it a shot. I don't think we're going to send you down the wrong path if you watch many episodes of the Sopranos. I know it's great. I just I don't know. There's something You're going into it with a bad attitude. That's the problem. Yes. Yeah, you didn't have to live through the real life time of doing Sopranos when they started doing half episodes. They only released every two years. So you'd get like six episodes or something, and then you'd have to wait another two years or something, and then nothing would happen in every single episode. You'd be like, oh, my God, they're just riding around, and he's just going to therapy more? What the hell? I hate binge-watching. 
because what happens is, and as much as I love Ozark and Bosch and some of these other shows, there's so much time in between seasons, and I forget what happened. It loses, you know, at least with Game of Thrones, and I didn't watch it, but Game of Thrones was each week, and therefore it you could stay with the storyline, and you didn't forget the storyline or characters. Ozark comes back, and I'm like, oh, that's right. Her husband's dead. She poisoned him. You know, you're just going, okay, I'm trying to piece all of this together. Same thing with Bosch. Love Bosch. But this last season, I went, God, I'm having a hard time. I had to go back to watch the previous two episodes before I started the next season. Yeah, Paul. Dan, I'm going to run through a handful of other mafia-esque type movies. All right. Have you seen them? Okay. Miller's Crossing. A little bit, because I like the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers. A lot of people love that movie. Um, a Bronx Tale, Chaz Palminteri. Oh, I did not watch that. That good got, movie. You got to see A Bronx Tale. Okay. Um, Casino. I did, and it was uncomfortable. I did. Okay. Did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. I don't think you watched the whole thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Joe Joe Pesci. They go out and they kill him. They kill his brother. Right, too soon. Sharon Stone is you know okay drug fueled. Donnie Brasco. Uh, with uh, I, Johnny Depp. I, I did, but I felt bad that he was going to turn on Al Pacino. It's a fugazi. You're, you're rooting for the mafia guy. I, yeah, I, I sometimes watch Reels, that, that, that uh, network Reels, and they always do these mobster things. And every one of them ends the same way. Here's it's, one that's really niche, and McLovin's going to love them mentioning this. Right. It's a Russian mafia movie, Eastern Promises. It might be Andrew's favorite movie. Viggo Mortensen. Oh, yes. Anything I, with Viggo Mortensen taking his shirt off, I'm in. What? <laughs> Who said that? Was there nudity in that? Oh, There's my God. actually a fight scene yeah. where, where Viggo, he's naked, right? He's completely naked <laughs> fighting some guy. That's an uncomfortable scene. <laughs> oh, that was the only part I liked. I, I, I remember seeing a little bit of that. Yeah, Seaton. Uh, so this is sort of a side topic then. Right. Is Reservoir Dogs a mafia movie? Organized crime movie, Yes. But not a mafia movie because those guys are in the mafia. Yes, that's an, that's in the in the. Oh, okay, in I the, I don't know if that slides in under the wire. It's there. not your traditional New York City. Hey guys, hey, we're gonna go do this thing. You know what I mean? It's not it's not your typical New York City centered mafia movie, but it's still about organized crime. It's still about the mafia, right? But it's in L.A. Right. Yeah, McLovin. See, I don't know if that's mafia because that might not have been the Italian mob. So did they do the omerta and the omerta and you know that ceremony like there's different levels. It's a great question, but I think there's different levels of organized crime movies. And it's never organized. That's the problem with organized crime. It doesn't feel organized. Is that just me? It's highly unorganized. Yes, crime. it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I watch that Reels channel and they're like drug lords and, uh, you know, guy with the, the Hell's Angels and like all of these different, I mean, kind of crazy, but they all kind of end the same way. Yes, McClellan. I know one you definitely didn't like, The Departed. Oh, God, it was horrible. I, I laughed. I went to the theater and saw that movie and I laughed out loud because there's a scene where... They come down the elevator, and then somebody gets shot, and then somebody gets shot, and somebody gets shot. And I go, oh, come on. Come on. This is funny. That being said, it's still probably a top 10 mafia movie. <laughs> Man, that's not a good movie. And, and then Jack Nicholson with his impersonation of... Yeah, see. Mafia movies have done a funny thing, though, in that you do 
you do root for who are ultimately supposed to be the bad guys. Yeah. Right? Where you're, you're rooting for the mafia guy to get away from the cops. Like You've never watched a movie about Charles Manson and been like, man, I hope Charlie gets away with it. Yeah. But in mafia movies, that's kind of what you do. I don't know what it is about the mafia where we go, God, it'd be kind of cool. You know, they're, they're into heroin, uh, they're <laughs> prostitution, and man, I hope they can. <laughs> it's just family men trying to make a buck. <laughs> it's the food. That's why we like it, because uh, and, the organized the crime, yeah, killing people and, and extorting people is bad. But the, the lifestyle of the eating is fantastic. I talked to James Kahn, who played Sonny Corleone. I talked to him last week, and we were talking about the toll booth scene. And he said that they had him wired up. So when he gets shot, he's got 127, I think they're called quibs, and, and they explode. And there's a guy who just detonates them. You know, the uh, the special effects guy. And and he, he said that, you know, they just blast and then blood comes out of it. But he said there was one that was one take. That scene at the toll booth is one take by Sonny Corleone. And he always makes the joke. James Conn, he goes, if Sonny only had the right change, he could have gotten through the toll booth. But the movie changed on that. And I had to tell him I didn't watch the whole movie. Jesus. <laughs> I did. I told Sonny Corleone I couldn't watch it. And he says to me, so Sonny, James Conn says to me, if I would have known they were going to make Godfather 2, I never would have let them kill me. He said, we all wanted a payday. <laughs> and he goes, you know, hey, Al got money. Bobby got money. Like he started mentioning all these people. He goes, I get shot. I didn't know they were going to do a Godfather 2. I don't want to be in Godfather 3, but Godfather 2, I could have made some more money. I would have told them, hey, you can rough me up. You can't kill me. <laughs> uh, welcome to the program. Sidetracked as always. Uh, a couple of headlines here. The NHL announces uh, the return 2014 playoff. They're not going to have regular season. We'll talk to the commissioner, Gary Bettman. Baseball owners asking players to take big pay cuts. It just feels like... There's there's more of a it's like a continental divide between these two right now. And uh, we'll find out what the NBA is going to do. Friday, I think, is the big day. That's when you have a conference call with the owners. I think we're going to find out exactly how many teams is it going to be in Orlando? Are you going to start the playoffs? You're going to have the regular season. Are you going to have play in games for maybe some of these teams to try to you know compete for the eighth spot? I think there's a few things uh, that are still up for grabs there, but. Just some things that we've been uh, keeping an eye on. Phil Mickelson will join us coming up in about 10 minutes. McLovin, what's the poll question here? Which sport will you miss the most uh, this summer if it does not come back? MLB, NHL, or NBA? 58% MLB to start. Okay. I'm surprised at that. Because with the NHL, is there a magical season somebody's having, team, individual? The NBA, it feels like you got some things that are hanging in the balance there. You got some marquee names. You got some big cities involved. But baseball, maybe just the fact that we got, you know, there, there was a little sampling there in spring training, and then all of a sudden it went away quickly. And we're so used to our, our body adapts to the sports calendar where all of a sudden it's time for baseball. You know, it's, it's time to ramp up with uh, the NHL postseason, NBA postseason. And now you're going, man, I kind of, miss that on a daily basis, nightly basis. But I would have thought it would have been the NBA. 
couple of phone calls in here. Uh, George in Arizona. Hi, George. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. How you doing? Oh, great, George. I'm a 10-year listener. Well, thank you, George. Uh, I've got a little thing. Denzel Washington, an American gangster. Okay. I'm, I'm aware of the movie. I think Russell Crowe is in it. I did not see that movie, but thank you, George. It's a mobster movie. What was the one... Um, Oh, we were watching Tequila Sunrise yesterday with Mel Gibson and Michelle Pfeiffer. I, I, it was one of those movies you pop on in the background yeah, okay. that you don't really have to watch, but yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. You watch just when she's on, on the screen. That's yes, right. McLevin. Do you guys think Scarface with Al Pacino holds up? Because I've seen it recently, and it feels very 80s-ish to me. I don't know if you've seen that one, Dan. Um, I've watched some of it. Is that recently? Or did I watch it recently? Some of it recently. Well, no, it's been a while. It has. You were in a hosting Sports Center every night. I mean, like you worked four or five nights a week. I know it's a lot. You worked a lot in the eighties yeah. and nineties. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was just I. I Scarface. I thought he kind of overreacted. A, he overacted a little bit. I thought Pacino was chewing up uh, some some film time there. That's just me. You wanted a but, more but demure what, Cuban, what do I know? What Cuban do I know? Cocaine-fueled. Yes. Yeah. Killer. I mean, I've been in 17 movies. Hello. Wait, yes, McClellan. You're saying Al Pacino overacted, maybe <laughs> yelled a little bit? Hot, hot take alert. I agree 100%. He was chewing up some camera time in there. After Godfather 1, what movie did he not do that in? Ooh. See, this is another thing. I can't bring up who's a better actor, Pacino or De Niro, with my wife's side of the family. Because, like, it's really serious. They take it personal? Or if I go outside and say somebody who's not Italian is a great actor. And then they're like, what are you talking about? They're not better than Bobby or Al? Like, like you don't know them. <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. Bobby De Niro. There. Uh, let me see. Let me See if somebody else wants to yell at me here. Mark in Indiana. Hi, Mark. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Oh, today, great. I'm great. Hey, five six one eighty. Cut like an upside down V. Hey, uh, Pope of Greenwich Village. Yep. Phenomenal movie. Yep. Eric Roberts, uh, uh, Mickey Rourke, Daryl Hannah. Just uh, growing up in New York, uh, you just knew guys like that growing up, and just a great movie. Great acting. I, I didn't love it. I don't need Daryl Hannah in any movie. I, I love Mickey Rourke, but then Julia Roberts' brother, I don't know. It's really just the they took my thumb yeah. scene that kind of, it yeah. takes down the whole movie. They took my thumb, <laughs> Charlie! They took my thumb! And it's Eric Roberts just going bonkers, mm. and you're like, that's not. And you can see where it's, it, like, it, it's, you see these movies come right at you. And then you go, here it comes. All right, he's going to be in trouble. All right, they're going to take it out. All right, here we go. And then you're like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, so I'm just not, I'm not a mob guy. Dan in Connecticut. Hi, Dan. To uh, McLovin's point earlier, when you guys said, you know, when he made the distinction about Reservoir Dogs not being a mafia movie, I think at some point you're kind of talking about two different lists of movies and categories. 
And to Seton's point before, when he's like, why do you keep, why do we find ourselves rooting for the bad guy and rooting for the gangster? I think that's what Coppola's contribution to, to the mafia genre was. Like in Godfather 2, when, when Michael says to the senator, Senator, we're both part of the same hypocrisy, that corruption's everywhere. And no matter what you can do, you find up rooting for the guy that just wants to provide for his family and do what he can to survive a rough go in America. And I think that's the great thing about the mafia genre. All right. Well, thank you, Dan. Getting a little deep there. I have a hard time watching. I, I don't watch Reservoir Dogs. Uh, there's part of it that I like, but I, it gets to the torture scene, and I check out. All done with that. Can't watch it. Once, that's it. Even Pulp Fiction was on the other day. And the scene where Zed is having his way, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> is it Bing Rames? Yeah. He's like, you know, Bruce Willis has his voice still kind of quivering a little bit. Like, are we, are we good? Yeah. We're good. Like, it, it, I love the scene where he's leaving. And he decides to pause and look through all the weapons. <laughs> and he takes his motorcycle. All right, we'll take a break. More phone calls coming up. Phil Mickelson will stop by. It's 18 after the hour. This is the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. Man, I don't want to brag, but I was putting on a display on the golf simulator there. I was throwing darts. This program brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way. It's the all-new GT four-door coupe because life is a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you miss any interviews from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the Dan Patrick Show app. Watch and listen from inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave. Mercedes-AMG driving performance. Ah, this wedge that I got from Callaway should be illegal. Phil Mickelson joining us on the program. Did you get to see any of that display there, Phil? I didn't see you throwing darts, but I love the I love the terminology. Uh, it's very similar to some of the things I like to do. What are this? What are what are your terms that you use? Tasty I, I was like, one. Yeah, I like to hit bombs. <laughs> uh, I, I love tasty little morsel. I I, I don't know. I come over what. Of course, that's part of the fun of it, just you know, creating your own verbiage, I guess. Where are you right now? I'm in my yard. I'm getting ready to go practice. And do you practice by yourself? I get the most done when I practice by myself. Yes, I don't get inter- interrupted, and uh, I find it, I find it uh, almost uh, kind of like a meditation type thing to to be alone uh, practicing. But do you play golf by yourself? Would you go out and play 18 by yourself? I am playing uh, 36 today and not by myself. <laughs> John Roman is in town uh, doing some work with uh, some of his companies and people here in San Diego. So we're going to go play uh, this morning. I've got uh, Tom Pernice and another player, Ken Doty, uh, who's uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour. So we've got a nice little game this morning. I like that. Uh, was there at any point a, a moment where you thought, do I give Tom Brady a lesson when you realized how he was struggling on the front nine? So Tom is one of those guys that he kind of just finds a way. And if you get in his way and you give him too much thought, it will, uh, it will inhibit him from figuring it out. And he just kind of figured it out. If you looked at the way Obviously, we played awful the first six holes, both of us. But after that, we played really, really well. In fact, we played four under par 
the last 12 holes. Now, an alternate shot, I thought, I thought if we shot like 38 or 39, like a couple over, that'd be really good. We shot two under. So he really stepped it up on the, on the back nine. But he was, I think he acted like we do on the weekend. That was the thing I loved about Brady is it humanized him. Here's the greatest, but he's just like us when he gets out there. The common mistakes that you make, you grip it too tight. Your, your, your swing is a little quick there and you can't hide because this is on TV. You're right, and that's why I give he and Peyton a lot of credit because they're the best at what they do and they go into the arena of something that they're not as comfortable in and they're not as confident in and have not worked on uh, very much. Uh, that, that I give them a lot of credit for putting themselves out there. That's not an easy thing to do. I thought they did it with a lot of grace and, and comedy. What was your favorite moment of the round? Uh, my favorite moment was... Um, Oh gosh, I think when Brady made the two, when he made the putt on 11, because that gave us a chance. And, and Peyton Manning had hit an iron shot in there to like eight feet. And with Tiger putting, he, he's going to make that putt. And so this was our chance to pick one up. Had we not made that after playing this hole like beautifully and then walk away with a tie, that would have been very deflating. Instead, it gave us this energy that, hey, we can do this, we can make this comeback, and we almost did. And that putt that he made on 11 was my favorite moment, I think. I was amazed. Well, I shouldn't say amazed with Tiger, but, man, he looked pretty good, Phil. Yeah, he did. He, he, he flat out did. Uh, he hit some, some great shots and was in play all the time and, and uh, play, played really, really well. But the, the guy that, like, stepped up was Peyton. I mean, my goodness, he makes a natural two – on the par three, the first par three, he makes another, he makes a net two on number eight and he makes a net birdie on seven. And that was, and then he, then he almost holds it on 16 for 25 million, knocks it a foot. And that wasn't an easy shot. It was strong wind. And, and I just, uh, I just thought he, he played remarkable. I was really impressed with him and I was impressed with the way my partner turned it around too. Peyton was pretty good trash talking though. He's, he's, uh, he's stealth there, Phil. He's brilliant. And the thing about Peyton is that his delivery is in a way that <laughs> laugh with him. He, does, he doesn't elicit a defensive response. And so it makes it very easy and fun to be around him and to, to have everybody laugh at, at what he's saying. I just love his delivery. I love the way he, he kind of talks to himself, kind of mumbles, but it's in a, a kind of a Larry David kind of comedic way. Talking to Phil Mickelson, uh, the Cavs look great. If, uh, if you could pass a rule that you could wear shorts, would you be in favor of wearing shorts on tour? That would be a given. I mean, I eat plowing it in alone, but uh, that's been a pretty funny topic the last year, year and a half. How does your wife deal with this? Uh, she's uh, very attracted to it. <laughs> Why did you have the best cat? You have two football players in Tiger Woods, and you had the best calves out of all of them, Phil. <laughs> I, I can't argue with you. <laughs> uh, being an analyst, golf analyst, does that in interest you at all when this is all said and done? I don't know when it's all said and done. You're turning 50 and you look like you're still hitting it the way you did uh, you know, 10 years ago. So I'm having so much fun playing that I, I want to continue to play. And this is the best shape I've been in. This is the fastest I've swung the club head in a long time. This is the best I feel, the hardest I've been able to practice and the most fun that I'm having while playing golf and so 
uh, I want, I want to play and compete and play against the best players. And, and I'm excited to get back out on tour. I'm excited to go play here at colonial and, and see where, uh, where I'm at, because, um, I feel like I've had a good, a really good uh, last few months to get my game back and be sharp. And uh, I'm excited to go play. So I, I don't want to say that I wouldn't, uh, enjoy doing that. I thought Justin Thomas did a phenomenal yes, job. He did. Yeah. He, he was did. sneaky. Good. He was really good. And his personality came out and I think he resonated with a lot of people. I think it was really a good thing for him where people got to see how funny he is, insightful he is and, and fun to be around. I think he, he gained a lot of fans by by showcasing his his personality that it doesn't you don't always see in a regular telecast i thought he did a really great job and added the perfect amount of uh, spice to the event so uh would i enjoy doing that yes i i think i'd be i think i would enjoy doing that but i i really want to play right now. is this a one and done or can you see weathers you know are you and tiger done with this of, of you know maybe uh coupling with somebody and then maybe it's other pros and uh, quarterbacks coming in We've had a lot of calls the last couple of days that people want in. And um, I think that there's a there's an opportunity here to create a competition that is also very entertaining, uh, that uh, showcases a lot of personality, but is still very competitive. And I thought that um, there were some things that worked this this time around that can work again. I thought having no people on the golf course was a big thing. I thought that it allowed more of an interaction between players and the viewer at home had a much more intimate feel. I thought the cameras in the golf carts were a huge thing. I thought the carts were a good thing because it sped up the time in between shots yeah. and shot right away. But the cameras in there brought you inside, inside the, the, the course, inside the player's thoughts. And I thought that was a, a really good thing. And um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was how the rain added an element. We were very concerned about getting it in. We were concerned about having – uh, poor weather, but I thought the rain and the tough conditions made it interesting. And that actually opens it up to another opportunity of maybe having an event like this in not so great weather. So I thought there were some things that, uh, that could be done again, that could really be fun that, that we, 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 got, I don't know if we got lucky or if just it all kind of clicked on Sunday, but I thought that it was a, a really good mixture of competitiveness insightfulness as well as entertainment with no galleries. It looks like perhaps for the rest of the year, would you be willing to be mic'd up? Do you think players would be willing to be mic'd up during a, a regular tour stop or even a major? I, I would be, I mean, I, I would be open to the idea because of um, how it's being received and, and some of the insight and so forth, but you don't always, you don't have the, the play between individuals. So, like I had a partner and Tom and I could, could talk back and forth and maybe we would have some of that with the caddy, but uh, having a partner is, is much more intimate and you have much better conversation. So in a real competition for uh, on the PJ tour, you're competing for a title. Um, you won't have that type of uh, kind of interaction. Yeah. Script Fun. yeah it, won't, it won't be the same, but I think it would still add something and I would consider it. Yeah. If you can pick another partner now, now that you're done with Brady, who would you pick? Well, it's it's really hard to top him because he is um, he he really brought a lot to the table and and um, he just he, he is just, he's just fun guy to be around. So it, it's hard to top him because he has the right amount of intensity, 
and the right amount of interaction and smack talk back. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't know. It, it would have to all kind of play together and work together and, and what the storyline is. And we'll, we'll maybe sit down and see if there's something that might be interesting to the public and, and, and try to create something again. But I, I really like the way this worked out and I'm really appreciative of the, the, the players uh, of Tiger, of Peyton, of Tom, of us all coming together to do something that was really cool. Uh, it's great to talk to you. And once again, raising $20 million, oh, by the way, uh, no small you know, gesture there. That, that was wonderful. Uh, do you have shorts on right now? I do, yeah. Let's see the calves. Can we see the calves? I can just, look quick. Uh, just for the ladies who are watching here. I don't know if I can get my leg that high. But uh, I, I <laughs> Come on, this is good for my ratings here. Your calves here. Um, I'll Maybe let you turn down this a little bit. Okay, here we go. Here's Phil's cat. Oh, oh, wow, wow. That is right? that's that's some eye candy right there. That's eye candy. All right, uh, go throw some darts there. And uh, great to talk to you once again. Uh, well done. Very enjoyable. And uh, appreciate your time as always. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. It's that's good seeing you guys. Phil Mickelson there. Good sports show in the Cavs there. Always appreciate that. <clears throat> You know, LeBron doesn't play golf, but if you had Steph Curry out there, because Steph can play, I don't know who can play golf. But if I'm going to get a couple of NBA players out there, who would I have? Steph Curry, how about if you, oh boy, if you did Tiger and Jordan versus Phil and Steph Curry, now we have something here. Now we have something here. Because Tiger and Mike, all right, you got the uh, the goats there, and then uh, you got Steph and Phil. Can you imagine with Jordan mic'd up? Oh man, man, no, I can't imagine. I, I, if Tiger screws up, is Mike going to yell at him? Not going to let him eat? Going to freeze him out there? <laughs> or I mean, Tiger would be giving it to Mike. That would be great too. All right, some phone calls here. Seton, are you uh, traumatized by Phil Mickelson's calf? Mm. <laughs> oh, what is wrong with me that I'm asking another man? Can I see your calves? Oh, dear. <laughs> yes, McLovin. I'm looking at it now. It is unusual. It's implants? What is going it on? It looks here? like his, his calves are pregnant. He's ready to give birth to little calves. <laughs> Oh, yeah. maybe we take a break here. Anywho, <laughs> yes, Todd. It makes us feel a little insecure because you have the calves and the calf knots. So okay, got it. All right, all right. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, thank you. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back with uh, more phone calls here. I got more people who want to tell me why I should be watching mob movies here. <laughs> <laughs> I blame this on Stephen King. Stephen King tweets this out, and then all of a sudden, I take the clickbait. Oh, and then we're off and running. All right. We're back after this on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Well, it's a topic that you would expect on this show and no other show. We, of course, had the hot guy draft. Can an actor be too good looking? We were talking about that during the commercial break. 
Paulie showed a picture of James Marsden. I don't know enough about James Marsden. Been in a lot of movies. He's in a show now um, oh, uh, with Christina Applegate. Dead to me. Dead to me. Um, he's been in The Notebook. He's been in a bunch of other movies. Really, really good looking guy. Like the overly good looking guy. Too good looking. Yeah, kind of like a, you know Rob Lowe in the early twenty years ago. Okay. And our theory is that when you're too good looking as a Hollywood actor, hello, you can't be a, a leading man. You people don't root for you as much, and hmm. it's the only place where it's a negative. You can get a lot of roles, but I don't know if they care about being rooted for. I I think we have a hard time laughing at a, a good looking comedian. Right, the Dane Cook effect. Yeah, I think we have a problem with that. Um. Because Tom Cruise is handsome. But Rob Lowe was better looking in, yes. the, in the same movie. Yes. Yes, he was. Yes, Todd. Is that why some of my comedy didn't go well? Because they couldn't get past the uh, handsomeness? <laughs> okay. Trying to figure out. Hey, now that's funny. <laughs> I like that. It's self-deprecating. It's clever. It was <laughs> you, in the moment. You we did it. Hey, Todd did it. There's something there. There's a little something <laughs> yes. still there somewhere. You're doing stand-up one more time. I know you're, you're pushing for that. I'm sure it will happen. You, I think you could be really good with somebody else's material. Or <laughs> I, I, There's nothing wrong with that. No, Sinatra didn't write his own music. That's a good point. That's Elvis good didn't point. write his own music. A lot of it's the delivery and not the actual yes, what you're saying. You have a content. great delivery. Yes, uh, Seaton. What if you did, you had them write the same material, um, but everybody went up to different places and delivered it? Now that's interesting. And see who was like, like say Paul and Todd had the exact same lines and the exact same punchlines, but they went to one comedy club and delivered it. And then Paul, like Todd, went to Caroline's, and then Paul went to you know Yuck Yucks or whatever. Okay, I don't know know what another one is. I want to know if what if Adam Sandler or Chris Rock or one of the greats uh, actually did the section row seat or anything that I've said in those previous appearances, they would get a lot more laughs because they're whether it's a likable thing or there's certain people you want to root for and you start laughing, you know, before they even say anything, you want to laugh. You want to, but be you're used to laughing at them. Nobody's used to laughing at you. Therefore the audience didn't know you. They weren't going, Oh, this is going to be funny. Not to mention when you don't even acknowledge their existence. That no. just kind of turns people <laughs> off. <a little> bit. <laughs> there you go. I got another giggle out of you. There you go. I, well, no, it's an uncomfortable giggle because I, I'm just remembering <laughs> being in the audience at Caroline's. I couldn't get enough drinks in me. No. Quick enough. When you're so nervous, you want to get right to what you memorize, and you don't even think about like saying hi to the crowd. That's uh, kind of rude. I was drinking Jack and Cokes because I thought maybe. May, then, then I said, I'm just going to do Jack. <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, you're right on about that, though, because people when we went to Minneapolis and we were at that brewery and Todd crushed, yeah. he absolutely slayed. That's because those people knew him and they were used to laughing at him or with him or whatever his material is. So when he was like, hey, how about Crohn's? And they're like, ah, this is great, Fritzy, you rule. Hey, how about disease? Anybody, yeah. Anybody? Yeah, yeah, Fritzy. Talk about. to the bathroom every 20 minutes, you, anybody? But then you go into a group full of strangers and he's like, hey, uh, how about this? And they're like, what is this guy talking about? Yeah. There's no context. <laughs> how about this? Tampa Super Bowl and and we we have you do a stand up act. We're big in Tampa. Got a great affiliate down. Well, there. we'll have a, a a home bar advantage for you, home court advantage for you. Who wouldn't want to do stand up comedy in Tampa? He'd go out on top. <laughs> <laughs> on top, like Tampa. No. Oh, on top. Oh man. 
So you got seven months to write five minutes. <laughs> Can you do it? You would think that should be more than enough time to come up with something somewhat remotely. I'm going to I'm going to reach out to Sandler and just say, uh, could you? Oh, he's not going to take my advice. He thinks he's got all the answers because he did a couple of jokes four times in his life. But you won't read Sandler's material, right? I definitely will. Oh, I you will now? Will. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm not arrogant like that. It probably came out wrong in the past. I know you guys tease me about that. Well, that what I'm was not interested in listening to David Spader and these people? But I guess it's more like you want to feel like you came up with your your own stuff. There's something to be said for like that was stuff that I came up with as opposed to just saying. What but would you rather were. come up with something that wasn't funny or somebody else came up with something <laughs> that was funny? That's Todd. I would prefer actual <laughs> laughing in the audience, even if it wasn't my original. Because story. I can't sit and watch you bomb again. It's very uncomfortable for the person actually on stage waiting for. You know what? Maybe we shouldn't do lap. this then. <laughs> if, if I, yeah, I'll Paul. tell you, I wanted a trapdoor so bad at Caroline's. I'm looking. Oh, so did someone, <laughs> someone pulls some kind of rope so I could fall through the floor. Caroline's installed a trapdoor after you were done. It's it's <laughs> the Fritzy door. Yeah, I see. The uh, the like MC or the host of the event coming back on after oh. this big smile. He's like, Whoa, what did that guy just do? Do you want to be the next person up after me? Where yes. like anything you say yeah. is going to be funny, yeah. or I just destroyed the crowd and now they're all upset and not in the mood for anything. I think when that woman came up after you, people started applauding just because you were <laughs> you were leaving. So that's me. That's yeah, me. I know. It's piling on right now. It's true, but it's <laughs> just saying. It's just just saying that. Uh, the line. James in New Jersey joins us. Hey, James, what do you have for me today? Six two one eighty eight Dan, and I'm calling for an intervention. Okay. Instead of talking about. Bundesliga results and the 27th best team and the NBA and a mid-July game that means nothing. You're on Vigo Mortensen naked, Phil Mickelson's calves. <laughs> I mean, Rob Lowe is prettier than Tom Cruise. What's next? Dr. Fauci's biceps? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to take a closer look there. But thank you, James. Sorry, James. James just wants you to know that he's a man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just laughing at ourselves, James. Before yeah. you can. Yeah. Just <laughs> laughing. That's all. Just trying to have a have a good time. That's all. Uh Jamie in North Dr. Carolina. Dr. Fauci, by the way, great biceps. Yeah. We just I mean we should point it out. Mm. Uh Jamie in North Carolina. Hey Jamie. Um yeah, hi Dan. Hey Jamie. Hey uh Six four two fifteen North Carolina Outer Banks right now looking at the water. Awesome. And I just wanted, yeah, it was great. Get to you know take a mind off all this stuff for a little bit. But I just wanted to weigh in. I think what you're doing is great. Keep talking about what you talk about. <laughs> and Snatch is a very sneaky, great gangster movie by Guy Ritchie. Yep. Very fast paced. And I think it's a great, like, mobster gangster movie. I, I Seaton was really... bringing it up, uh, brought it up this morning, Jamie. Thanks for the phone call. Yeah, just watched it again uh, over the weekend, actually. And and I told these guys that Brad Pitt came up with that accent, the pikey accent, the night before they started shooting. He went to Guy Ritchie, Madonna's former husband, and said, hey, I want to use this accent. And Guy Ritchie reportedly said, go get him. And he went out there and you pick out every fourth word, which just made it great. Yeah, McLovin. English mobsters, different different genre altogether. You can't put that in with The Godfather. It's organized crime. Right. But it, also the drug kingpin, like Narcos and those movies, totally different too. Like uh, Pablo Escobar movies, yeah. they don't count either. 
Kevin in Virginia joins us. Hi, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Hey, Dan. Just going back to the Tony Dungy interview, uh, they were talking about fixing the Rooney rule. Yeah. Would it be would it be a fix for the Rooney rule if teams could not hire a coach until after the Super Bowl? The enemy's been on two late playoff runs the last couple of years. He can't interview until the week before the Super Bowl, and all the teams have already hired all their coaches. Yeah, I don't know where we stand with that, Kevin. I thought that they modified that. McLovin, do you know if they opened that window to allow these assistant coaches to interview? I believe there was a proposal, and I don't know if it passed, to yeah, something about that the assistants have a bigger window to interview. Oh, no, no. I think it was that you can't you can't contractually keep them from interviewing as easily as you used to. But now that we're using Zoom, that might help someone like Eric Bieniemy that he's getting prepared for the AFC title game, but he has an hour where he can talk to a team and they can get to know him through Zoom. And, you know, granted, he's not there in person, but what you do when you, when you have these interviews, you basically say to that coach, hey, what would you do with our team? If you're an offensive coach, hey, what, what do you see? They want, they want to pick your brain of what you would do. What's different? What do you think of our quarterback? What do you think of our line? What do you, th- you go in and you're, you go in as if you're the head coach. And you, that's how Mike Tomlin got the job. He just blew the Steelers away. He just went in and they were like, hey, it's a Rooney rule. You're going to you know, interview Mike Tomlin. And he went in there and he was buttoned up and he told them exactly what they wanted to hear. And maybe that would help Eric the enemy. He can't travel to interview for a team, but he's able to through Zoom. He could he could at least do that the preliminary stages. Yeah, McLevin. The actually the new rule that passed is you can't block an assistant coach from interviewing for a higher up job like coordinator. So it's a little different, but I think they're also working on what you're talking about too. Yeah, I think that would be beneficial to all involved. McLevin, update the poll results. Which sport will you miss the most if it doesn't come back this summer? MLB 61%, NBA second. Do you want to come up with another poll question for the final hour? Sure do. We're, we're cooking something over here. Oh, you are? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, is going to join us. I know he's got a plan. I'm not exactly sure when hockey's going to start again, but they do have the infrastructure here. We'll talk to him coming up. More phone calls as well. Dan Patrick Show.